السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا قال رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما حديث نمبر ثتي وعن سهيب رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كان ملك في من كان قبلكم وكان له ساحر فلما كبر قال للملك إني قد كبرت فبعث إلي غلاما وعلمه سحر فبعث إليه غلاما يعلمه وكان في طريقه إذا سلك راهب فقعد إليه وسمع كلامه فعجبه وكان إذا أتى ساحر مر بالراهب وقعد إليه فإذا أتى الساحر ضربه فشكى ذلك إلى الراهب فقال إذا غشيت الساحر فقل حبسني أهلي وإذا غشيت أهلك فقل حبسني الساحر فبينما هو على ذلك إذا إذ أتى على دابة عظيمة قد حبست الناس فقال اليوم اليوم اعلم الساحر أفضل أم الراهب أفضل فأخذ حجرا فقال اللهم إن كان أمر الراهب أحب إليك من أمر الساحر فقتل هذه الداب حتى يمضى الناس فرماها فقاتلها ومضى الناس فأتى الراهب فأخبره فقال له الراهب أي بني أنت اليوم أفضل مني قد بلغ من أمرك ما أرى وإنك ستب وإنك ستبتني فإن ابتليت فلا تدل عليه وكان الغلام يبريء الأكمه والأبرص ويداوي الناس من سائر الأداوي فسمع جليس للملكان قد عمي فأتاه بهدايا كثيرة فقال ما ها هنا لك أجمع إن أنت شفيتني فقال إني لا أشفي أحدا إنما يشفي الله تعالى فإن آمن بالله تعالى دعوت الله فشفاك فآمن بالله تعالى فشفاه الله تعالى فأتى الملك فجلس إليه كما كان يجلس فقال له الملك من رد عليك بصرك قال ربي قال ولك رب غير غيري قال ربي وربك الله فأخذه فلم يزل يعذبه حتى دل على الغلام فجيب بالغلام فقال له ملك أي بني قد بلغ من سحرك ما تبرى الأكمه والأبرص وتفعل وتفعل فقال إني لا أحدا إنما يشفي الله تعالى فأخذه فلم يزل يعذبه حتى دل على الراهب فجيب الراهب فقيل له ارجع عن دينك فأبى فدعا بالمنشار فوضع منشار في مفرق رأسه فشقه حتى وقع شقاه ثم جاء بجليس الملك فقيل له ارجع عن دينك 
فأبى فوضع من شار في مفرق رأسه فشقه به حتى وقع وقع شقاه ثم جيء بغلام فقيل له ارجع عن دينك فأبى فدفعه إلى نفر من أصحابه فقال اذهبوا به إلى جبل كذا وكذا فصعدوا به جبل فإذا بلغتم ذروته فإن رجع عن دينه وإلا فطرحوا فذهبوا به فصعدوا به الجبل فقال اللهم اكفنيهم بما شئت فرجف بهم الجبل فسقتوا وجاء يمشي إلى الملك فقال له ملك ما فعل أصحابك فقال كفانيهم الله تعالى فدفعه إلى نفر من أصحابه فقال اذهبوا به فاحملوه في قرقور وتوسطوا به البحر فإن رجع عن دينه وإلا فاقذفوه فذهبوا به فقال اللهم اكفنيهم بما شئت فانكفأت بهم السفينته فغرقوا وجاء يمشي إلى الملك فقال له الملك ما فعل أصحابك فقال كفانيهم الله تعالى فقال للملك إنك لست بقاتلي حتى تفعل ما أمرك به قال ما هو قال تجمع الناس في صعيد واحد وتصلبني على جذع ثم خذ سهما من كنانتي ثم تعسه سهم في في كبد القوس ثم قل بسم الله رب الغلام ثم أرمن فإنك إذا فعلت ذلك قتلتني فجمع الناس في صعيد واحد وصلبه على جذع ثم أخذ سهما من كنانته ثم وضع السهم في كبد القوس ثم قال بسم الله رب الغلام ثم رماه فوقع في صدغه فوضع يده في صدغه فمات فقال الناس آمنا برب الغلام فأتي الملك فقيل له أرأيت ما كنت تحذر قد والله قد والله نزل بك حذرك قد آمن الناس فأمر بالأخدود بأفواه بأفواه سكك فخدت وأضرم فيها النيران وقال من لم يرجع عن دينه فاقحموه فيها أو قيل له اقتحم ففعلوا حتى جاءت امرأة ومعها صبي لها فتقاعست أن تقع فيها فقال لها الغلام يا أم اصبري فإنك على الحق رواه مسلم So Alhamdulillah ثم Alhamdulillah As we see this hadith is quite a lengthy hadith and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward us for listening to the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this hadith which the author, rahimallahu ta'ala, may Allah have mercy on him, he mentions this under the chapter of sabr, the chapter of patience, and it has an amazing story with amazing lessons. So a man amongst the kings of the past, he had a sorcerer, 
someone that would do magic as his confidant so that he could use him for his own personal benefit even at the expense of the deen, even at the expense of religion. So this king, Yani, he only cared. He only cared for his own personal benefits and was a tyrant ruler who enslaved people for his own advantages as we will see later on as we carry on with the hadith. So when the sorcerer, when he grew old, he explained to the king and he says that indeed I have gone or I have grown old. So send me a young boy so that I can teach him sorcery. So he preferred a youngster because the individual or a young individual is more inclined to learning. And it is for this reason that teaching a young individual is what lasts and is not forgotten. For this reason, learning whilst you are still young is far better than learning at an old age. And both have the advantages. But learning at a young age, it has great advantages. So let us look at it. The first advantage is that often the youth they memorize faster than someone that is older. Since the youth, a young person is not mentally occupied and he does not have things that preoccupy his thoughts. And the second advantage is that a young person, he memorizes and this remains whatever has been memorized. It remains whilst what the old memorizers could easily forget. And this is a common um, this is a common thing with young people, with youngsters, and it is said study at a young age. And this is one of the sayings of the pious, study at a young age, or studying at a young age is like inscription on a stone, meaning it does not rub off. However, I would like to add, there is nothing wrong, obviously, when you never studied at a young age, for example, Hifz of the Qur'an, memorizing a hadith, that you cannot do it at an older age. Maybe you had to work, there was people that went through certain difficulties, etc. But alhamdulillah, when they grew a bit older, they have time. There is certainly nothing wrong with you making the effort. Even we've heard of ulama in our time, like the likes of the muhaddith of Medina, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, Hafidhallahu ta'ala, the likes of Sheikh Ali al-Hudayfi, Hafidhallahu ta'ala, that they memorized the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they became hafidh after they, they've reached the age of 30. Walhamdulillah. So sometimes one does not need to learn or maybe you were busy with other things and you could not learn could not memorize the Qur'an when you were younger. And you've done it when you are older. Alhamdulillah, there is nothing wrong with this as well. The third advantage, if the young person is trained from the beginning to master a particular area of study, then the knowledge he acquires becomes something intrinsic in him. And it becomes natural for him. Like a knack he grew up with, and so he grows to age upon that thing. So we take a youngster. And Alhamdulillah, Allah Azza wa Jal granted him an opportunity to memorize the Qur'an. This does not stop here. He does not stop by just memorizing the Qur'an. Now he needs to go a bit further. He needs to extend his knowledge of Tajweed. He needs to study, he needs to read to a shaykh, he needs to get ijazah in his recitation. And once he's mastered this, he needs to go into the fields of hadith. He needs to go into the fields of fiqh. He does not have to become an alim or an allama, but at least he needs to know the basics. He at least needs to have a text in every field. So when he finishes his schooling career, he finishes matric, etc., and he feels he wants to go further, 
in Islamic studies, he has a background. Or he feels he wants to study something else, he wants to become a doctor and engineer. Then this will aid him in that field as well and Allah knows best. So the sorcerer, yani the magician, he was versed, right, he was very well versed and because of his age, he had great experience in what he did. So he requested for, or from the king to send a young boy to him so that he will teach him sorcery. The king sent a young boy and he started to teach him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he exalted and may he be exalted the most high, he wanted good for this young boy. So one day this young boy, he passes near a monk. So he's walking to the kingdom and he passes near a monk. He's walking to the palace and he passes a monk. Now, we need to understand this, Afwan. That obviously the monk or that is used here, the rahib, is not what we understand today as a monk. Someone living in a monastery or wherever he stays and cut himself off the world, doesn't worship Allah Azza wa Jal, he worships anything that he feels comfortable with. No. But the rahib, they were pious people. This was pre-Islam. But he followed the monotheism of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was a monotheist person. He believed in Allah Azza wa Jal and he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So the boy passes him and they begin to speak. And the boy becomes thrilled by his words. So now we understand that this monkey was a worshipper and an ardent servant of Allah Azza wa Jal. So he would only speak the truth. And he was someone that was learned and he engrossed in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it turned out that whenever the young boy left his people, he would sit with the pious monk. And sometimes he would get late for his lesson. So the sorcerer began to punish him, asking him, why did you come late? Lad explained what he faces with the sorcerer to the monk. So he goes back to the monk afterwards and he says, you know, my teacher is getting upset because I'm late. So the monk tells him, as mentioned in the hadith, that when you go to the sorcerer and fear that he might punish you, then say to him that my family, meaning his family, kept him back. And when you go to your people, then you say that the sorcerer, my teacher, delayed me. And in that way you can be safe, bi idnillahi ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knows best, the monk really ordered him to do this even though this is a lie. And perhaps he viewed that the advantages of telling a lie in this circumstance right, outweighed the disadvantages and inshallah bi'idhnillah we will touch on this a bit later. So the boy followed the instructions of the monk. And he would come to the monk, listen to him, then he would return to the sorcerer. And when he wants to punish him, he would explain to him that his relatives kept him back. And when he would return to his family on the way back, he would spend time with the monk. And he would tell his family that the, his teacher kept him back. So one day, the monk kept him back or he was speaking to the monk and he left. So he passed by a particular road and he saw a huge beast. So the hadith does not mention what type of beast it was, what type of animal, etc. 
But this beast was hindering the people from passing by. And no one could pass by this road. So this young lad, he wanted to try out what he has learned from the monk and from his sorcerer, from the magician. So he took a stone and he supplicated to Allah Azza wa Jal. And he says to Allah, he makes dua, that if what the monk is upon is the haqq, it is the truth, and it is better than, let the sto- than what I've learned by the magician, then let the stone kill this beast. So he pelted the stone and it killed the beast and the people could pass. So now this youngster knew that what the monk has taught me, this is haqq. This is the truth and this is better than what the sorcerer was upon. And that is undoubtedly the haqq, the truth. So the sorcerer is either going, is either an aggressive evil doer or is a disbelieving polytheist. And here I would like to pause for a moment. Okay, let me just first finish the next few lines and then I would like to add something to this. So if he depended on jinn for his sorcery, seeking nearness to them, worshipping and supplicating to them, asking for the help, then he is a disbelieving polytheist. But if he did not do this, but would oppress people with medicine involving magic, then he is an aggressive evil doer. So, I would like to bring us into our times today. Many people, they go to these types of people. Whether it is a Muslim or a non-Muslim, whether it is what we call a Sangoma, etc. in South Africa, or sometimes it is a pious person with a big beard, a big turban, a big jubba. But what they teach the people is against the Quran and Sunnah. Some of them depend on jinn. Some of them seek nearness to the jinn. Some of them worship and supplicate to the jinn. They ask the jinn for help. And this obviously makes them a disbelieving polytheist. Or they would do certain magic do certain, write certain things, and this is, will make them an aggressive evildoer. The point I would like to make, or draw your attention to, is that if someone asks you certain questions, that doesn't make sense to you, and they tell you to bring certain things, or slaughter certain animals, then know that this is suspect, and go seek, Help from someone that will guide you to the truth and Allah knows best. So as for the monk, if he was worshipping Allah based on ilm, on knowledge, then he is a guided person, even if he has aspects of ignorance and stray. His intentions are good even if his deeds may be defective. So in a nutshell, this youngster, he told the monk what had happened and the monk told him, Today you are better than me. So here we see that the teacher is telling the student that you are better than me. And this is something that each student should strive for. That a student should always strive to be better than his teacher. And here I would like to add and I would like to explain something. That being better than your teacher, understanding the mas'ala better, being a better teacher when teaching to people, conveying the message, this does not mean that the person or the student is disrespectful towards his teacher. This does not mean that the student is belittling his teacher. But every teacher would want, a sincere teacher, would want a student to be better than them. 
So having said this to the students as well. Yes, Alhamdulillah, you've advanced. You maybe read bit bigger books. But this does not take anything away from your teacher. They taught you the basics which you did not know. And if it wasn't for that basics from them, you would have never been where you are today. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for us as students, that we respect and we honor our teachers. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that our teachers, they also accept that we've grown and there's something maybe that they can learn from us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And that is because right, this youngster, he supplicated to Allah and Allah answered his prayer. This is amongst Allah's favors that he bestows upon these servants. That when the individual doubts regarding a matter and he asks Allah for a sign which will clarify the matter for him, Allah made it clear to him. It is amongst Allah's bounty. Consequently, the istikhara that he that you will make a supplication to Allah to guide you on a matter. And this is legislated. So when an individual intends something and it becomes unclear to him whether doing it is good or that the good lies in abandoning it, then he sincerely and faithfully asks Allah for guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will most definitely grant and guide him towards whether he should go ahead or whether he should be halting this option or opinion. And again, I would like to add something. That Salatul Istikhara, the Dua for Istikhara, it is not only for marriage. We have this misconception in our community amongst people and especially amongst youngsters that we only make Salatul Istikhara for marriage or for a job. That's it. But I want to should I go on holiday? Shouldn't I go on holiday? Then we don't make istikhara. Um, I want to buy a house, etc. Then we don't make istikhara. It is narrated that some of the Sahaba, they would make istikhara even if it was had to do with changing their shoelace. So istikhara should be made whenever we have a decision to be made in our lives. My son needs to go to a half school. He needs to go to a primary school. So where should I send him? Ask Allah Azza wa Jal. Make the dua. Make the salah. And you will be guided by Ithnillah. So amongst the extraordinary events Allah gave this boy was that he cured the blind and the leper. <coughs> he prayed for them and they became healed. And this is from Allah Azza wa Jal that he made it apparent at the hands of this boy. And does this not remind us of the story of Nabi Isa, the son of Maryam, who would only rub his hands over the bodily defect and the individual would become healed. In this case, the boy supplicated to Allah and Allah exalted most high answered these du'as. The blind and the leper got healed through his supplications and the monk had informed the boy that he would be tried. He would face test and trial and he asked that he does not reveal anything about him when he is tried and put to trial. So maybe this boy is one of those whose supplications are ever answered. Whenever he prayed to Allah, Allah accepts his dua. And the king, he had a blind aid. So someone would sit next to the king, but this person was blind. So he brought many gifts to this young boy. After hearing about him and said that you will have all of this if you can cure me. The boy answered and he says that only Allah can cure. And this is something extremely important. That we inculcate this in our 
kids from a young age. That it is only Allah that gives. That it is only Allah that cures. And that the medicine that you use and the doctor that you go to and that injections that you take and the vaccine that you take, that it is only but a means. And there's nothing wrong by taking the means. But know that it is Allah that is the ultimate cure. That cure comes from Allah. Like sickness comes from Allah, cure also comes from Allah Azza wa Jal. So the boy says that only Allah can cure you. And consider this his belief. He was not swelled. He did not tell people that it is he the one that cures people. He did not tell people that I am the one that cures. But rather he says that Allah Azza wa Jal is the one that will cure you. So in some aspects this is like what happened to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimallahu ta'ala. When a person was possessed, was brought to him, the man had been possessed by a jinn. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimallahu ta'ala, he would read the verses of exorcism. And the jinn refused to leave. So the Shaykh, he began to knock on the man's knees strongly until his own hands pained to or pained because of this beating. So the jinn possession or possessing the individual then spoke saying, I will leave out of respect for the shaykh. So the shaykh replied and said, do not leave out of honor for me, but leave out of the obedience to Allah and his messenger. So he avoided that grace that was ascribed to him. And all izzah and fadl belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. And then the jinn left. At that the man stood up and said, What has brought me to the shaykh's presence? Perhaps when he had had the fit, he was in his house or a marketplace. He asked what brought him before the shaykh. The people exclaimed that subhanallah. Did you not feel all the beating of the sheikh? He said, I did not feel it. In fact, no pain touched me. They told him what had happened. So the point that we're trying to bring forth from the story is that the people of knowledge and faith do not ascribe Allah's favors towards them. They only ascribe it to its controller, Allahu Azza wa Jal. And this is extremely important. That many people, we go through something. That it is my money. It is my knowledge. I am the one that did this. I am the one that did that. But you forget that it is Allah that gave it to you. You have a beautiful house, a beautiful family. Where did this come from? This is a bounty from Allah Azza wa Jal. وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ That Izza comes from Allah and disgrace also comes from Allah. And we need to pass this that I do and it is through my intelligence. But know that it is Allah that gave it. Yes, you work hard. Yes, you study hard. Yes, you memorize the Quran hard. No one's denying this. But know that it comes from Allah Azza wa Jal. So the boy stated, If you affirm faith, I will supplicate to Allah to heal you. The man accepted and the lad prayed to his Lord to heal him and Allah healed him. Thereupon he started to see. This aid came to the king and sat with him as he would normally do. So the king asked him, Who restored your sight? So remember, now he believes in Allah. So he says that my Lord, the king asked him, Do you have a Lord apart from me? So the man said, Yes. Rabbuk wa Rabbi Allah. That your Lord and my Lord is Allah. Subhanallah. So now he's manifesting his Tawheed. 
So the king took to him and started to torch him until the man pointed to the young boy. So he told the king after going through much torture that this was the young boy that assisted me. So the boy was brought and he told the king the narrations and he punished the boy severely as well. Then he asked the boy, who taught you this? But remember the monkey warned the boy, do not expose me. And this youngster also remembered that the monk told him that you will be tried. And when you are tried, do not tell about me. Perhaps the boy could not bear this anymore. Perhaps was going through so much pain. And he said that the monk had taught him. And this king was a dhalim, he was an oppressor, he was an aggressor. And we seek the refuge from Allah from the evil people in our society and in our communities and in the world today. So the king told this boy, leave this religion that you are upon. But the boy did not listen. And then the king brought the monk forward. And the king warned the monk as well, leave this religion that you are upon. But the monk refused. Thereupon a saw was brought and he sawed the middle of his head, the center of his body. So basically he was cut in half. And his body separated into two parts. So this was the oppression from the king. So a part fell away in that direction and a part fell away in another direction. But this did not make him leave his religion. He refused to change his deen to something else. He preferred to be so killed than to change from his deen. And then they brought the blind man who was an aide of the king but later believed in Allah and disbelieved in the king. They asked him to abandon his religion. He refused as well. So the king treated him the same way as he treated the monks. So they did not put off their religion. And all of this is pointing to the fact that an individual must have sabr. So obviously something comes up here. Is it compulsory on a person to endure to be killed? Or is it permissible for him to utter a statement of disbelief which will not harm him if he is under duress? So here we find some explanations. If the issue is of his personal concern, then he has a choice. If he likes, he may utter the statement of disbelief to put away the duress while his heart remains firm upon faith. And if he likes, he may remain firm and steadfast even if he be killed. So this is if the matter has to do with an individual himself. For example, someone comes to you and says prostrate to this idol. But he refuses and was killed or that he prostrated to remove the duress and so he was left. However, if the issue concerns the religion, that is to say if he utters a statement of disbelief openly, the people will turn to disbelief, then it is not allowed for him to utter a statement of disbelief. It is rather wajib, it is obligatory upon him to exercise patience and though he will be killed, for example, fighting in Allah's cause, the fighting individual will continue to fight even if he is killed because he wants Allah's word to reign supreme. So if he is a leader of the people, and is compelled to say disbelief, it is not permissible to do so, especially during times of trials. He should rather be patient. So an example of this is what happened to Imam Ahmad, rahimallahu ta'ala. During the great and well-known trial, when he was being compelled to say that the Quran is created and it is not the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he refused. He was tortured, he was censored to the extent that he was dragged with a donkey to a marketplace. And this is the great Imam, Imam Ahlul Sunnah, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. 
He was dragged with a donkey to a marketplace, beaten with whips until he would become unconscious. Yet, when he regained consciousness, he said that the Quran is the word of Allah. It is the uncreated speech of Allah Azza wa Jal. He did not permit himself uttering a statement of disbelief even during severe duress because people were waiting what Imam Ahmad would say. If he had said the Quran is created, the entire community, the entire society would have taken that view as well and the religion would be ruined. However, may Allah shower blessings upon him. He made himself the ransom of the religion or for the religion. He was patient and hopeful of Allah's rewards. In the end, he succeeded. And all praises belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that ruler, he passed away. And the next ruler, and Allah brought a pious ruler who gave Imam Izzah and respect. So Imam Ahmad did not pass away until gladdened his eyes. Until he could speak the truth openly and the people said along with him the haqq. So the enemies who turned the rulers against him and all praise bleeds to Allah were all disgraced and this is evidence that the end for the pious and it is so that Allah grants success to whomsoever he wills. So after the king killed the monk and his aide, he asked the boy to change his religion. The boy refused. So what does the king do? The king gets a group of his army and tells him to take the boy to such and such a mountain and when you're on the top, you ask him. When you reach the peak, you ask him. Do you want to? <clears throat> Do you want to leave the deen that you are upon? Do you want to leave this religion of worshipping one Allah and follow the king? If he says yes, then bring him back. If he says no, then you throw him off the mountain. So... They tried to fling him off the mountain after they asked the question. He said, Oh Allah, that you suffice me against them as you wish. That, Oh Allah, you are the one that can suffice me. So suffice me against them as you wish. So what happens? The mountain starts to shake. They all fall off. They all die. The boy returns back. He walks down the mountain. He returns back to the king. The king asked him what brought you back. Where is the rest of the people? So he said that Allah the mighty and sublime. Had sufficed me against them. The king then gets another group. He tells them. You take the boy. You put him on a ship. You go to sea. When you are in the middle of the sea. You ask him to change his religion. If he does not change his religion. You cast him in the sea. So they go. What does the boy say? When they about asked him, do you want to change your religion? He says, no. He says, oh Allah, suffice me against them. The boat capsized. Everyone drowned. The boy swam. To show, alhamdulillah, he survived again by the will and the grace of Allah. He comes to the king. The king asks the same question. Where are the rest of the people? The boy told him what happened. Then he says to the king, you cannot kill me. Until you do what I will command you to do. The king asks, so what is that? Remember, this is a youngster speaking to a tyrant. So the boy says, you gather all the people in one place. All the residents of the city. You gather them and you tie me to a trunk of a tree. Then you take an arrow from my cover. And you shoot me with the arrow. But you need to say, by the name of Allah, the Lord of the boy. And if you do that, you will kill me. So thereupon the king, yani he gathered people on an open field. He tied the boy to a tree trunk. He got an arrow and he fixed it in the bow. And shot it saying, by the name of Allah, the Lord of the boy. So he shot the boy in his temple. The boy placed his hand there until he passed away. Then the people started exclaiming by the name of Allah the Lord of the boy they believed in Allah and they disbelieved in the king and this is what the boy wanted he had hikmah he had wisdom that he knew that because of his death 
many people will follow the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here we find some extra things that we can take derive from this hadith. Number one, the boy's the strength of the boy's iman and that he neither altered or deviated. Number two, that it contains one of the signs of Allah considering Allah's honoring him with accepting his dua, his supplications. The mountain shook and the people fell dead beside him. Thirdly, Allah answers the supplication of the distressed when he calls to him. So if a person calls to Allah during distress with certainty of faith, that Allah will answer him, Allah the Exalted will grant his request. Even the non-Muslims, when they are overshadowed by the water waves, whilst on the sea they call out to Allah, making the worship for him alone. But when he saves them, they join partners with him, so he would save them because they were sincere. In their turning towards him, but when they reached or the distress is over, then they go back to their disbelieving ways. Number four, an individual may sacrifice his own soul for the overall advantage of the masses of Muslims. So this boy taught the king something through which he may kill him and he would pass away. And that should get the arrow from his quiver, fix it to the bow and say in the name of Allah, the Lord of the young boy. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah commented and he said, because this is a jihad in the path of Allah, the entire nation believed while he lost nothing. Because he died and they all will die sooner or later. But as for suicide bombing, right? So that's the end of the quote of Shaykh al-Islam. But as, this brings us to another mas'ala and that is the mas'ala of suicide bombing. You strap yourself with bombs and you go to a particular place and you bomb yourself, you detonate so some of the people, they do this, they carry bombs to the disbelievers and they detonate it whilst being in their mess. This is merely killing oneself and we seek refuge with Allah Azza wa Jal. And whoever deliberately kills himself will be in the hellfire and is report, as is reported in the hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whosoever murders himself, as the Prophet peace be upon him says, whosoever murders himself with a piece of iron, his piece of iron shall be in his hand and he will punch his belly with it in hell until eternity and endlessly. This hadith is found in Al-Bukhari. <coughs> so this is because such an individual only kill himself, not for any advantage of Islam, because if he killed himself and 10 others, or 100 or 200, Islam has not gained any advantage from that. The people would not have accepted Islam contrary to what we have in the story about the boy. It brought about many, many accepting Islam. All those present on the field became Muslims. But that 10 or 20 or 100 people amongst the enemies are killed. This does not bring the people to accept Islam. In fact, the enemy becomes more enraged. They become more aggressive. And we've seen this in certain places. For example, if you look, the people of Palestine, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala free them from the difficulties that they're going to. A suicide, an individual, he straps himself, becomes a suicide bomber. He kills six or seven people. They retaliate by killing what? A hundred, two hundred, three hundred Muslims. And many a times the suicide is not even on soldiers, but rather innocent people die too. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the understanding. So if an individual does that out of some misunderstanding, thinking that it is allowed, then we hope he would be freed from the sin. But that... He has martyrdom written for him. But if he does this knowing that this is incorrect and he still does this, then this is a problem and he's going to face the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in concluding this part of the hadith, we find that there are many lessons for the thoughtful after the people all proclaimed that in Allah we believe. So the Lord of this young boy 
They believed in Allah, the Lord of the young boy. So the people of evil and spite against the believers approached this disbelieving king who had compelled people to direct servitude to him. And they said, O king, what you warn against has finally happened. They believe in Allah now and they do not believe in you. So this was the same thing that Fir'aun did. He said that I am your Lord, so believe in me. And when this, so what does the king do now? Now the king realizes that he's going to lose out. The king now realizes that his people are not following anymore. So what does he do? He says to his people, dig trenches. To his henchmen, dig trenches and let the people, if they don't give up their religion, you throw them in the trench. So, he would hurl people in the fire. Because they did not believe in him and they believed in Allah. But we know that the angels will take lies pleasantly. And what does Allah say? Allah says, Salamun alaykum. Salamun alaykum. That peace be upon you. Udakhulul jannah. And enter paradise. Bima kuntum ta'maloon. Because of the good that you used to do. So there is no greater patience than an individual who sees a blazing fire. But he still says that I believe in Allah. He still says that I believe in Allah Azza wa Jal. And he gets thrown into this fire. Allah will make like maybe be idnillah. In the story of Nabi Ibrahim. We made the fire cool. Salamun. We said peace. And he said that may this fire be. Bardan salamun ala Ibrahim. May it be cool and peace for Nabi Ibrahim. So maybe this fire was cool. For the people that were thrown in this fire. Then we see a woman. Carrying a little child. This child was still suckling. And she was hesitant. To jump in the fire with a baby. And the baby starts to speak. Oh mother. Endure this. Go into the fire. And this is the haq upon you. So the baby speaks. While still being. Some, a baby that is suckling. And this obviously is from the. Greatness of Allah Azza wa Jal. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowing a baby to speak in its infancy. What man can do this? This is shows us again from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she got held into the fire. So this is a sign from Allah and is proof that Allah when he says وَيُنَجِّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ تَقَوْ بِمَفَازَتِهِمْ لَا يَمَسُّهُمُ السُّوءُ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ And Allah says that we deliver those who are muttaqun to their places of success and evil shall touch them not meaning they will not be touched by evil nor shall they grieve. If you look at the story of Maryam alayhi salam when the people Accused her of zina when the people told her that how can you become pregnant when you don't have a when there was no man and we know the story of Nabi Isa and Allah said kun and it was and the pains of childbirth drove her to the trunk of a date palm and she gave birth to a baby under a date palm and Allah provided a flowing stream for her as Allah says in Surah Maryam and shake the trunk of a date palm towards you it will let you it will let fall fresh ripe dates upon you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries on and he explains in the story of Maryam that when she carried this infant people were amazed people asked where do you get this from what happened ya ukhta harun O sister of Harun, 
makana abuka ransu sawi wa makanat ummuki baghiya that your father was not a man who used to commit adultery nor your mother was an unchaste woman and that is your father was not an unrighteous likewise your mother was not an unchaste woman so they did not commit adultery then how did you become like this how did you become pregnant this was a slander against her and then she pointed towards him and she said ask him fa asharat ilayhi qalu kayfa nukallimu man kana fil mahdi sabiya qala inni abdullahi atani alkitab waj'alani nabiya waj'alani mubarakan aynama kuntu wa awsani bis salah wazaka ma dumtu hayya وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَتِي وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْنِي جَبَّارًا شَقِيًّا وَسَلَامُ عَلَيَّ يَوْمَ وُلِدْتُ وَيَوْمَ أَمُوتُ وَيَوْمَ أَبْعَثُ حَيَّا سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ And sometimes the English language does not do justice to the Arabic language. And say, the truth is from your Lord. Then whomsoever wills, let him believe, and whomsoever wills, let him disbelieve. And indeed we have prepared for the Zalimun, a fire whose walls will be surrounded them, or surrounding them. And if they ask for relief, for water, etc., they will be granted water, like boiling water, that will scull their faces. Terrible is the drink, and evil is the murtafaqa, the dwelling place. And indeed those, as for those who believe and do righteous deeds, then certainly we shall not suffer to them or to be lost in the reward of anyone who does their righteous deeds in a perfect manner. So now the story comes back to Nabi Isa from what the Arabic that I read. The three or four ayat. These for them will be Adin. Right, so what happens is that Nabi Isa, Alhamdulillah, he says that I am the slave of Allah. I've been given the book and I will be made a prophet and I'll be made blessed wherever I go. And what was given to me is salah and zakah and that my mother, she is free from what you accuse her of and peace upon the day that I was born and the day that I will pass away. So see, he is an infant and he speaks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again. This is the grace from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here again it shows us that if Allah wants a child, a female first of all to be full pregnant without being married, without a man, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do this. So, an important lesson, why does this lesson come under? The chapter of patience. Why did Imam An-Nawawi bring this under the chapter of patience? He brought this under the chapter of patience because we see the patience that the young boy had. We see the patience that the mother had, that the child spoke to her, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted her that tawfiq, that she jumps or she gets pulled into this burning Fire, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. The last point, sometimes we go through certain difficulty. Maybe some people, even in our own communities, they mock us because we've chosen a certain way. But have sabr. 
one of the traits and the great traits of the ulama of the past and the present is that they would have patience against or during hardship and we ask Allah to make us of those Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.